Welcome to Orla's Happy Hormones Podcast. I'm Orla, your resident tree-hugging, lemon-sucking, garlic-crushing hippie. Talking all things female health and wellness. I hope you enjoy. Hey, and welcome to episode 64 of Orla's Happy Hormones Podcast. And this week I'm doing a Q&A style one. I, every time I do these, I always say, I love doing these. These are one of my favorite ones. And it's because they're. I love answering questions from people specifically. And my Instagram Q&As that I do on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I've been getting more and more questions in. And I only ever do the first five questions that come in because I'm always someone who's running late or strapped for time something along those lines so I tend to just go for the first five and then I I am missing out on quite a lot of questions and now I do try to get back to everybody individually as best as I can but sometimes it's just not 100% feasible so I'm about 90% okay on it I think I hope so with the extra questions that are coming in I'm just going to be putting them into podcast style ones and that way I can answer them a bit more in-depth as well and there's a lot of questions that I do get in that can do with some in-depth answers and today's ones there's a, a few in here already that I'm like yeah the I, I couldn't really do it on a 15 second Q&A I love the Instagram Q&As it's just you don't have enough time to elaborate on things and as well there's a lot of times where it, I would need a bit more information or a bit more context because it all that matters. So when I am answering, I'm answering with just the information that's given to me. Whereas with doing it this way, I can elaborate a bit more. So I'm answering five questions that came in and I'll just get cracking. So the first one was, why does my period take so much energy out of me? Would anything help? Well, just think about it. With your period, you're bleeding. You're bleeding for five to seven days. This is all person dependent. I'm going to speak in general terms, but it is all person dependent. You're you're losing blood and within that blood, you're losing iron, magnesium, manganese, potassium. For women specifically, we are we do tend to lean more towards some iron deficiency. You may not be completely deficient, but you may have lower levels of iron. In TCM, it's known as blood deficiency. We lose approximately about one milligram of iron per day during our periods. So if you're someone who isn't absorbing your iron as adequately as you could be, then this could be leaning towards not leaning towards but could be contributing to the fact of your low energy levels but then as well when we're looking at our periods you have to look at what the body is going through you're not just losing blood for a lot of women for one to two weeks beforehand you're going into an inflammatory state so the body is becoming inflamed due to surges of of hormones excess hormones if you're on any hormonal contraception, you are more than likely in a chronically inflamed state anyway. 
because of how those hormones are reacting on the gut lining. And if there's ever any issues with your gut lining or your, your stomach, any part of your gut, large intestine, small intestine, stomach, bowels, if you have any problems there, if you're on the pill or any hormonal birth control, it's going to aggravate it. And then there's going, going to be an, an issue with nutrient absorption from your food. And not just your food, but from supplements too. But as well as that, when you're in an inflamed state, your body is working double time to try and counteract that inflammation. So the energy expenditure that's involved with that alone is quite big. Even when you look at the likes of digestion, when you eat a meal, it takes 60% of your body's energy to digest that meal. So that's why after you'd have a big lunch and you go back to work and you feel like you're slumping. Again, it's all down to food choices, but predominantly the body is going into a slight shutdown mode so that it can digest its foods and so that you can absorb your nutrients. It's similar when you're in an inflammatory state, your body is going into overdrive to try and counteract that inflammation. And it also wants to shut down so that it can rest. When you're in, when you are in an inflamed state, the body needs rest. Inflammation causes a spike in your stress hormones and cortisol and adrenaline, noradrenaline also. And with that, yes, you may become quite wiry and agitated if it's over a prolonged period of time. But when you're in a chronic inflamed state, your body wants to heal itself. And the best way to do that is to shut down. So what I would be recommending here is one, looking at your diet. What is your diet like? Are you eating whole nutrient dense foods? Are you eating loads of fresh fruits and veggies, berries, probiotic type foods? What What's your protein intake like? Is it too much? Is it too little? What's your protein quality like? I'm very much quality over quantity when it comes to all foods, really. Because even with the good foods, there's, there is such a thing as too much of a bad thing. Like I always tell clients, I'm like, look, broccoli is fantastic. And eat as much of it as you want. But realistically, if you have any more than 100 grams of broccoli per sitting, you're going to be on the loo. You're going to have diarrhea. You're going to have cramps. You're going to be nauseous. Broccoli is a fantastic food, but it also contains certain certain enzymes that in large quantities can be toxic to the body. So looking at your quality versus quantity of foods is really important. Buying your fruits and veggies from a local farmer's market is actually best. If you can't get it from a local farmer's market, then I would be going for organic when you're buying in the supermarkets. Just because the crops are, are sprayed with so many herbicides and pesticides. I've talked about this a million and one times. You almost be sick of me talking about it at this stage. But it's just being mindful of where you're sourcing your fruits and veggies from. For every meal, you should... like Two-thirds of your plate should be veggies fruits and veggies but predominantly veggies and a mixture of 
your non-starchy and starchy veggies. So your your starches are your potatoes, sweet potatoes, rice, oats. I know they're not veggies, but they would be classed as your starches. And then your non-starchy starchy veg. So your carrots, broccoli, spinach, peppers, onions, butternut squash, pumpkin, beetroot. All those, as much colours as you can get on the plate as possible. The more colours on your plate, the more flavonoids you're getting. And flavonoids are anti-inflammatory. And then with your protein, looking at like a palm size of protein per person it depends on the person depends on the size of your the size of your pan really what you're looking for is about 40 they say 46 for the average woman 46 grams of protein per day for the average woman but it all depends on the woman if you someone who trains a lot you will need a little bit more if you're someone who doesn't do much training you actually a little bit less but again it's quality over quantity where are you getting your protein sources from? Is it a meat source? Is it plant-based source? Are you combining your proteins together? If it is a plant-based. And just the quality. Is it organic? Is it free range? Looking at where you're buying your foods, again, is really important. But then with those foods, with women, we need to be looking at foods that contain a lot of levels of iron and B vitamins. B vitamins are essential for our cell division, DNA production, neurological pathways, and then iron. Because we lose iron with our periods, it's extremely important to get as much iron-rich foods in as possible, or in TCM terms, blood-building foods, which are the likes of your spinach, red meat, beetroot, organ meats, Especially are extremely important. The likes of liver, kidneys, these contain vitamin A and vitamin K, which is crucial for thyroid production or thyroid hormone production. And again, looking at our hormones, they're all connected. And then also when you are looking at your iron rich foods, you need to make sure that you're getting enough vitamin C in because we need vitamin C to absorb iron. So all those orange colored veggies, they're rich in vitamin C. There's actually more vitamin C in a potato than there is in an apple. It's one of the highest sources of vitamin C. The poor potato has gotten a bad rep over the years. As long as you are buying locally grown, locally sourced potatoes or else organic potatoes, they're really good carbohydrate source but they're a great source of vitamin c great source of potassium great source of magnesium so looking at your foods now what i would say is go to the doctor get your bloods done make sure that you haven't become anemic and even if the levels are slightly on the lower end i would recommend supplementing with a little bit of iron get a good brand though one that's going to support you and not constipate you because as every woman knows iron will constipate you uh the one i would always recommend would be floridix and because it also contains some b vitamins and vitamin c and vitamin a and vitamin k it really does help with the energy levels as well as your iron levels and then letting yourself rest giving yourself uh 
time to rest and giving yourself permission to rest. It's something that we don't do in this rat race world, even though we've just come through the, the lockdown of COVID and everything slowed down. Already I can see the world is speeding up again. So giving yourself that time to rest and tell people no if you need to say no and get someone in to help you if you have a partner, if you have kids, whatever. But be very firm with the space that you need for yourself to recuperate. But give yourself a couple of months of looking at the diet, increasing all the fresh whole foods, reducing out as much processed foods as possible just to eliminate the inflammatory causing foods. And you will notice a difference once you're starting to get good nutrient dense foods into you and sleep. So I hope that's helped. My second question is, I discovered I have H. pylori after three plus years of symptoms. I'm a shift worker and I also had COVID. Any tips? So there's a lot going on here. Uh, H. pylori, do you know what? 60% of the world's adult population actually will contract H. pylori and don't even know about it. They just think they have bloating and stomach distension and reflux, gas, heartburn, the works, all the symptoms of H. pylori. And a lot of the time it's diagnosed as just IBS. Whereas in fact, there is a bacterial infection going on. Now H. pylori, for anyone who doesn't know, is a bacteria that attacks the lining of the stomach. So the lining of the small intestine, but also the lining of the stomach. And it's most commonly contracted from feces to mouth. The second most common one is from mouth to mouth. So if you're off out shifting all around you, you could be contracting H. pylori. But with the feces to mouth, it's because people aren't washing their hands properly enough and then they're using their hands to eat. So hand washing has always been important, not just during COVID. (laughs) You need to be making sure to be washing your hands so you're not actually ingesting any bacteria through the digestive tract. So your first port call here is healing your gut. And I know I sprout on about this all the time. Happy gut, happy body. But you do need to heal the gut. And what I see with a lot of people is when they think that they have food intolerances, they'll eliminate the food. Um, They'll eliminate it for like three, four months, come back, start taking it again. And all the old symptoms come back and and they actually come back worse and they don't understand why. The reason it comes back worse is because Yes, you've eliminated the foods that you are intolerant to, but you haven't healed your gut. So the body's immune response is going to be activated massively once this trigger food is is brought back in. So yes, eliminate trigger foods, but then heal the gut lining. This can take about four to six months. And... I know that sounds like a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, four to six months out of 80 years of your life, if not more, they say our life expectancy is getting bigger or it's getting longer. So four to six months is really not that bad. When you're looking at healing the gut lining, 
you're really looking at the likes of gums, mucilages, collagen, flavonoids, everything sprout on, all the phytochemicals that there are. But the compounds that contain these, you're looking at... You're looking at the likes of slippery elm powder, your omegas, your essential fatty acids. These are really important for the gut lining. L-glutamine, then probiotics. So probiotics are needed to feed the good bacteria. Probiotics don't actually heal the gut lining, but they will feed good bacteria within the gut and as well within the vaginal microbiome also. Anyone who has any sort of gut issues guaranteed you're going to have an issue with an overgrowth of candida also. So introducing good probiotics, I always recommend the Udo Super 8s. I, for anyone who has, who has had bacterial infections or any sort of leaky gut, I would be going with a bit more of a heavy duty one, the likes of the BioCare GI Complex. That's what I have been advising certain people to take not everyone but and this is just me and it's just taste (laughs) they have changed the formula and I can't take it because it's laced with xylitol and stevia and it's way too sweet for me now look I know xylitol and stevia are quote-unquote natural sweeteners Mm, I'm still not a huge fan of using xylitol and stevia in massive amounts a little bit okay but not in big amounts. And I find that the taste of the BioCare one, it's just too intense for me right now. Now I know there's, somebody actually got onto me recently and told me that they were taking the Nature's Way one, um, which is very similar to that. I haven't tried it myself, so I can't, I can't comment. So get yourself the Udo's Super 8s or even the Super 8 Golds if you can, because there's an even larger strain of good bacteria in them and then prebiotics we need prebiotics to feed the good bacteria so you can get your prebiotics through your food the likes of your blueberries blackberries beetroot kefir kombucha these are all prebiotic foods kefir and kombucha have an element of probiotics in them also but anything that's dark blue, purple, red in color, anything that contains polyphenols are all prebiotic foods. Also cabbage, your red cabbage is really good for this, but it can be a bit harsh on the stomach. It is a sulfur rich food, it can cause gas. So you do need to be mindful there. And your slippery ant powder is, it's a powder made from the bark of the slippery ant tree and it contains gums, mucilage, volatile oils, saponins, again flavonoids and alkaloids and these will all help to heal up any permeability in the lining of the gut. So bringing them into your diet as well as an essential fatty acid like a a good omegas blend. I would recommend the BioCare, um, what is it, BioCare Mega EPA. I find that one to be really good. If you can't get that one, then the wild Alaskan fish oils. Always get a good source, one that is good quality. But by bringing them into your diet and then eliminating out your trigger foods, predominantly 
when it comes to any sort of leaky gut, any bacterial infection within the gut, don't hate me. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> but grains and dairy are really hard on the digestive tract. They make the digestive tract work extra hard to be able to break them down, which is causing more strain. So if you can eliminate grains and dairy, it will be really beneficial for you. The thing is, is that a lot of people think that they are gluten intolerant or gluten sensitive. It's not actually gluten that you have the problem with. It's the glyphosate, which is sprayed on the crops. And that's causing the issues within the gut. Like I see a lot of people, people who've been diagnosed with celiac disease, who have sourced their own organic flour and med bread themselves and they didn't have a reaction which is strange because celiac disease is actually that's your gluten intolerance that's your your allergy to gluten but there is more of a correlation to the type of grains and then the mutation that's within the gluten because of the glyphosate so it's being very mindful of where again you're sourcing your foods from what I would recommend for anyone who has the likes of H. pylori, leaky gut, IBS, IBD, well, not IBS, IBD, because again, your trigger foods are completely different. Um, everybody's trigger foods are completely different, to be honest. Everybody's body is different. But a paleo style diet is one of the gentlest ones on the digestive tract. Now, I know when I say paleo, a lot of people kind of lose their shit because they think it's an extreme diet. It's actually not really an extreme diet. It's just a ton of fresh vegetables and your meat, nuts, seeds, healthy fats, lots of healthy fats. And it's really just eliminating the dairy and the grains. Now, you can be full paleo or you can be a little bit lenient on yourself and have some legumes thrown in but again you have to make sure to soak them otherwise again they're really hard for the, the digestive tract to actually break down what you're looking for are the easy foods to digest and then when it comes to the fact that you had covid um you're again you're looking at the immunity because there, you've had H. pylori for three plus years, your immune system is compromised because 70% of our immune system lies within the gut. You have a problem in, within your gut. So by healing the gut, you're all automatically going to increase your immunity. But what I would recommend right now is supporting your adrenal health because after any sort of viral infection, your adrenal glands are really worn out. So the likes of bone broths, vitamin C, L-theanine, magnesium, they're really important to be incorporating into your diet. Nourishing foods, all your root veggies, your sweet potato, carrots, parsnips, beetroot, turnip, roast them off, mash them up, make soups, make stews, but really nourishing foods, foods that you would class as a hug in a bowl are really important for building up your energy again and building up your immune system again all the colors of the rainbows to get all your vitamins and minerals and definitely 100 make sure that you are getting your probiotic into you 
post-viral fatigue can be extremely draining. So do try and make sure that on your days off that you are getting enough rest. Try to reduce out as much caffeine and alcohol as you can. Just give the adrenal glands a bit of a break and also give the stomach a bit of a break. So I hope that's helped. My next question is, any tips for increasing blood flow? Experiencing mainly brown blood during my period. <clears throat> so in Western terms, this is predominantly stale blood that's left over from your previous periods. But if all your periods tend to be like this for the last few months, there's a lack in your circulation. And there's also a lack in possibly your prostaglandins which are there to create contractions to help shed the lining of the womb now in tcm terms traditional chinese medicine terms this is known as liver chi stagnation and liver blood stagnation and it's very common and it's that murky brown sludge it's the period sludge that i always call it and that's a sign that again a bit of blood deficiency but as well not enough energy to move the blood from the uterus. When it comes to this, we're looking at a number of different things. So we're looking at increasing the quality of your blood. So a lot of blood builders, again, your spinach, beetroot, red meat, organ meats. Then when it comes to herbs, what I use in the clinic with people to help support any sort of stagnation within the uterus herbs like peony angelica these are blood builders or they're blood tonics and romania as well is a very big blood tonic but that can be quite an intense herb if given in too high a dose and it can actually cause constipation as well but then with your blood tonics you we need to be mindful of dosing around the period because if we're given too many blood tonics it's going to cause a bit of flooding and that we don't want so it is a nice balancing act it's why i'm always saying to people don't just go off taking herbs willy-nilly actually get in touch with someone because they'll be able to give you the advice and give you the right dosage but then other herbs to herbs to get the energy flow moving what i always look at anyway would be the likes of calendula ginger these are moving their classes and menagogues so is angelica and alcamilla as well no, sorry, Alcamilla is not classed as a menagogue. Simusophilia is what I'm thinking of. I'm getting my herbs mixed up. It's late in the day when I'm recording this podcast. I do apologise. But we'd be looking at menagogues to get that blood flow going. Ginger is a great one. It's very warming, it's very heating, and it will move the energy. Calendula is specific for that stagnation, for that loss of period, or not even the loss of period, but that it where it just that bleed will not come. When it comes to foods for that, there's not really a whole lot that you can do besides the likes of your liver foods. So because there's liver cheese stagnation going on, we need to get the liver functioning properly. So looking at all your dark leafy greens, your broccoli, cauliflower, sprouts, kale, the works. I know they're so boring. Nobody likes taking them, but they are really important. They have the liver detoxification compounds in them that are needed to support the body's 
way of eliminating excess hormones eliminating excess toxins and supporting the entire menstrual system supplements that i would be recommending would be the likes they're again possible iron deficient not deficiency in iron but you may have lower levels of iron go get your bloods done see what the iron levels are like if they are on the lower end of things i would be looking at getting a good iron supplement this is as long as you don't have hemochromatosis if you have hemochromatosis you know you shouldn't be taking iron but then as well looking at your omegas and your b vitamins just for proper hormone production these will help with the proper balance of estrogen progesterone testosterone as well as them your stress hormones and your thyroid hormones they're all connected they're all interlinked but because you are going through just that brown sludgy period muck it's the only way to describe it really it is more so that energy that you're looking at the body doesn't have enough energy to shed the lining of the womb and to release it properly one thing I always recommend when it comes to any sort of stagnation is exercise so either 10 minutes of hit in the morning and I know I'm a bit of a, I hate cardio with a passion I hate cardio <laughs> specifically hit I, I refuse to do it just because I, I, it just drains me and I don't enjoy it but I know I do need to start doing it a little bit more of it myself but for me then it's finding one that I do enjoy so the likes of boxing I love boxing because I get to punch out any sort of frustrations that I have and my frustrations yes linked to liver cheese stagnation so any sort of boxing or trampolining or jumping jacks light jogging things like that they're going to be really good for getting movement within the body and getting that energy flowing and getting that chi moving so incorporating your blood building foods getting your energy moving and maybe incorporate some ginger tea not too much maybe one cup of ginger tea a day depending on your tolerance for heat if you're someone who tends to be a warm person the ginger will aggravate that if you're someone who tends to be a cold person or you have cold hands and feet the ginger will actually help that and again it's getting the circulation moving within the system so i hope that helps so my fourth question that came in was i have an addictive personality food overeating undereating drinking, exercising excessively, etc. Any tips? You're not the only one. <laughs> I too have quite an addictive personality and it's something that I have to really be mindful of and really watch. And over the years I had to figure out why it was I was doing all of the above. Everything that you've actually asked was everything I did. Between food, like overeating and undereating, I yo-yo dieted for years well I yo-yo dieted in my early 20s I was up and down and up and down but before that I had anorexia for eight years and then when I discovered the gym I I trained way too hard I excessively trained uh, I completely obsessed over it and it took took a car crash to actually make me stop 
I had no choice but to but to stop. Um, if I hadn't, I would have I would have exercised myself into an early grave. I would say. Um, but I had to I had to find balance. Because even the year before that, subsequently, I was overworking. I was overworking. I was overtraining. I was under eating, and I was studying. I was doing exams, and I ended up having a complete nervous breakdown. Uh, like I lost cognitive function. So during that time when that happened and after I got through my exams, I had to take a step back and look at things. And I I did a bit, but it wasn't obviously not enough. <laughs> the way I see it is, is the universe sent that other care into the side of me to stop me in my tracks and really take a step back and look at things. When it comes to addictive personalities, it's down to a number of different things. It all depends on the person, but a lot of it is control. If you find that you are addicted to loads of different things, as in like you will pick up one addiction for another. That's what I did over the years as well. Like I said, food, overeating, undereating, excessive exercise, but as well going back to a teenager I used self-harm, self-harm was an addiction, I used sex as an addiction, I used BDSM as an addiction. So speaking from about it from my point of view, that was a a cycle of pain pleasure, a cycle of punishing myself and also control. I would be someone who would lean towards OCD quite easily and for anyone who's been listening, who's a regular listener to my podcast, knows this. Um, especially throughout COVID, it was my control was taken away, and my OCD came back with a bang. But at the core of addiction is actually connection, or lack of connection, human connection, meaningful connection when we lack in meaningful connections with family, friends, romantic partners or tribe, we will we will gravitate towards something to fulfill a void that's within within us and having to take a look at what that void actually is. For me, again, it was lack of connection but lack of self-worth, lack of joy, and lack of purpose. Going back to my addictive personality as a teenager, that was all control. It was, with when it came to self-harm, that became an addiction because it was taking the internal pain away. And with self-harm, there's many different reasons why people do it but predominantly when you can't name a pain or when you can't get a break from it an internal pain that is that sadness that despair it becomes too much and we need to manifest it physically so I I would cut and the pain would temporarily be a physical pain that I could actually feel on say my arms or my legs or wherever I decided to cut and it would sting and 
it when I would first do it it would numb I, I wouldn't even feel it it would be a euphoric experience the only thing I could describe it to is an epic orgasm <laughs> straight up um but I would numb out completely for about half an hour and then I would have that sting it would sting for days but that would keep that internal pain at bay but it wasn't that it was keeping it at bay it was numbing it because my focus was on the physical and then as I came out of that I was you not as I came out of it but I also used food at the same time where I would be controlling what was going into my body and I I would just starve myself I never really binged until I got to my early 20s and then I went through a cycle of binging and binging and starving I never purged I I never suffered with bulimia I just physically couldn't do it I hate vomiting I can't I can't do it (laughs) I wouldn't purposely put myself through that but yeah I used food then and then I discovered sex um not that I discovered sex but I discovered using sex in a punishment style also in a, a way to numb out again if I could get to that euphoric state of an orgasm it's it, it numbs everything out but then you're also connecting with another person via touch and for me touch is a huge thing and so I would get a little bit of a release from that lack of connection and then I would get a huge release from an orgasm but then depending on if I if it was just sex or if it was the BDSM I would punish myself mentally for days afterwards and so in the last seven eight years like I really have to look at those areas of my life of when I see myself getting urges for doing things or missing certain things or using something be it food alcohol exercise sex why is it that I'm using these things to numb out but really it's not numbing out it's just wanting to to actually feel something other than the lack so my advice to you would actually be to go and talk to someone because there is a reason for you either overeating or undereating excessively drinking excessively exercising what's that lack within you if you can't find it yourself go and talk to someone there may be a lack of self-worth there may be a lack of connection there may be traumas when people go through traumas we latch on to certain things just to help us cope they're called coping mechanisms and again it's so that we don't have to focus on the actual hurt and the pain that's in underneath it so look at any traumas that have been in your life and look at any traumas that were there in your childhood everybody has them we may like to think that we all had fantastic childhoods there is something that everyone has that lingers and that can attach to our self-worth but really take a look at yourself and what it is that you're trying to fill what void is it that you're trying to fill and do go and talk to someone I'm talking to someone at the moment 
I realized that there's still certain areas of my life that I need to work through and I'm like okay I can't do I've done most of the work myself I've gotten to what I say is my last hurdle and I can't do the last bit by my by my own I need a little bit of help because there's only so many books I can read and study I need someone to look at me objectively and tell me what they can see and tell me not tell me but can guide me on that journey into my own shadow self I highly recommend it for everyone (laughs) there is nothing wrong with going to therapy so maybe give that a go I hope that helps hope some of that resonated with you and my final question was hi Orla what's your thoughts on the 80-20 approach dip Depends on what the individual's approach is, to be honest. Um, look, the 80-20, 80-20 rule, yeah, great, all for it. Me personally, I'm more 70-30. Sometimes I can be 80-20 when I'm being quite strict on myself. But predominantly, I would be 70-30 because of life. And again, actually, because of like the last question, I can be very OCD. I can become very compulsive and I can fixate on something. So... If I notice that I'm fixating on having to be healthy 80% of the time and let myself be whatever the other 20%, that's too rigid for me. Whereas 70-30, if I'm out for a meal with family or friends and I order something healthy and then I see a few chips, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a few chips. If I don't want something healthy, if I want to get a big burger, I'm like, do you know what? I very rarely do it. I'm going to do it now without overthinking it and without guilt attached to it. I used to, oh, I used to self-flagellate so much when it came to food. I would beat myself up something wicked for having a burger or sweet potato chips or a bit of bread. Now look, wheat and dairy, they don't agree with me. I try to avoid them specifically for my stomach and my skin and my thyroid but I'm at the stage in my life now where I have been rigid for so long where I had been rigid for so long over the years in different ways that I just I'm over being strict on myself I'll give myself a plan and I'll stick with this 70% and then 30% of the time it's not that I go off track but If I decide that I want to have a slice of pizza, I'm going to have a slice of pizza. I haven't had pizza in a really long time. I kind of miss it. Pizza's my go-to. Look, The way I would say to you is, when you're looking at the 80-20, just look at your mindset around it. Look at your mind frame. Are you being extremely strict and rigid on yourself with it? Or are you actually enjoying the 80-20? Are you monitoring absolutely everything that you're putting into your mouth to make sure that you do get to that 80% and then give yourself the 20%. If so, it it could possibly be a little too strict. What I would suggest is to try and let go of any sort of guilt that you have around that 20% and even let, let go. It's not even letting go it's more about accepting yourself accept that 
you want to have certain foods and let yourself enjoy them. The way I look at it is if I have food that I know isn't healthy for me, I'm like, okay, but it's good for my soul. I'm enjoying this right now. To me, food is one of life's greatest pleasures. And if it's not that healthy, okay, but it's feeding my soul and my taste buds and I'm enjoying every moment of it. And I always say to my body, you're going to take the goodness from this and just shit out the badness. And that's it. <laughs> so yeah, look, I do like the 80-20 approach. For me, I'm more 70-30. But it depends on the individual. It depends on how strict and rigid you are with yourself. And just giving yourself a bit of a break every now and then. Accepting your diet for what it is, as long as it is predominantly driven towards health then go for it and then just don't beat yourself up the other 20-30% of the time enjoy it life is meant to be enjoyed life is meant to be lived if you enjoy food work away just be mindful so that's this week's episode of World is Happy Hormones and I hope you've gotten something from it hope I haven't waffled too much And if I have, oh well. So for now, happy Friday and happy hormones.